You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Free kick for Atleti. Good opportunity to give a shout to a blog, a, a US fan club of Atletico Madrid called Into the Calderon. Do some really good content for all followers of the Colchoneros. A decent base in the United States as well, following the action on ESPN+. Plus. Give them a follow. At into the corridor. Did you see? I, I think this has been in, in both Madrid papers at this point. Uh, and Relevo also reported it, but did you see that Real Madrid are going to try to sign like a bunch of Atletico Academy players this summer? Yeah, I just saw something about that this afternoon. But Adrian Nino, who doesn't want to, or isn't interested in going, and yeah, it all seems a bit. <laughs> yeah, that that would be nice if if Nino didn't go because he's got a bunch of goals this season. I think he has 17 goals this season. But yeah, I, I think Marca reported this is that Atletico aren't going to get into a bidding war they're not going to bid for Real Madrid's academy players which I think they should do well let, let's go to war you only get one shot at this let's sign some of their kids of, of petty petty things that mean we're not sporting directors right why this, <laughs> this, exactly this is why we just sit here and do the podcast and this is why we're not working <laughs> in those roles perhaps uh, you never know. Maybe yeah, I, I, I would I would totally go to war if if that's what Real Madrid want to do. But that's neither here nor there. That's for, for the summer, I suppose. In the meantime, we are just kicking off a new edition of Colt Chanero Chat, a Tuesday show. I'm Jeremy Barron. Sam Leverage is joining me. How are you, man? Good, thank you. Yeah, I'm a little bit scared now. The thought of going to a bidding war with Real Madrid, but <laughs> <laughs> all good. Uh, we are going to be talking about on the show today, Sam, a number of topics, including uh, this past weekend's game against Hetafe, Atletico and Hetafe playing out a 1-1 draw at the Metropolitano, some transfer stuff. And toward the end of the program, we're going to talk about a few things that we are looking forward to most for the rest of Atletico's season, which still has about four months to go. Really? We have to watch another four months of that? <laughs> yeah, June 4th against Villarreal is, is match day 38, man. Four more months. Well, four, three months and, what, 28 days? <laughs> not, not that you're counting down. Not, that's that, not, you, round not <laughs> that you have a reminder set on your phone. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, that could yeah, be. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> it. It could seriously. Villarreal have been in bad form lately, and they're really inconsistent. But that could end up being some kind of playoff for fourth place. But that's that's way down the line. Um, partido a partido, right, as we like to say. Um, but th- th- this past weekend's game, not really inspiring a whole lot of confidence, and I think justifiably so as Atletico and Hetafe drew 1-1 at the Civitas Metropolitano in match day 20. It actually turned out to be a decent weekend in spite of the results, Sam, as Atletico were able to pick up a point on all three of the teams around them except Rayo. Uh, Real Sociedad lost, so Atletico got a point closer to third. Uh, Rayo's uh, victory over Almeria yesterday moved them into fifth, incredibly. Uh, but Atletico have a three-point edge over Rayo and four points clear over Villarreal and Betis. So not the worst weekend, maybe, but still, this wasn't a very good performance. What were your major takeaways from the Hitafe match? Yeah, it felt a lot worse at the time than it does looking back at it now. I guess that was the Real Sociedad result and, and so on, the, the Real Betis result that came in afterwards. But yeah, it was It's just a game that it feels like we've seen so many times before, a game where Atletico in the first half were so much better than Adafe, but didn't take their chances. And some of those were just stupid things, things like Alvaro Morata still not knowing the offside rule <laughs> and just not taking chances. And I think by half-time, we could have kind of been comfortably in the lead. That wasn't the case. Then in the second half, that goal finally comes, a little bit fortunate perhaps, and you think, OK, now Atletico can relax a little bit and start to play their own game. And it doesn't really happen. I don't think they sat back and defended quite as much as some people were saying they did. And then at the end of the day, we have to be honest and just say that the, the goal that Hitafe scored was a, a penalty for a ridiculously unfortunate handball from Saul, which is one of those that is just bad luck and not much else you can say about it. So, yeah, a frustrating result and a frustrating performance because I think Atleti deserved more than they actually got. But at the same time, there's enough negatives about at that performance that you can complain as well. So a bit of a weird one. Yeah, this was 19th place Hetafe at home. Uh, Atletico had won the previous 11 home meetings with their local rivals. Uh, that streak was snapped on Saturday. And you mentioned Saul, and I felt so bad for him because of his heroics the previous week, and he turns into a bit of a villain this week by giving away the penalty. It, it, it's just a case of a, of a bad rule, right? There really wasn't anything Sal could do to avoid it. The cross comes in, his arm is out, ball hits his arm. By the letter of the law, it's a penalty. Yeah, it's one of those that you've seen them at other times not be given. I don't think anyone argues too much because it's clearly not intentional. Yeah. But then if it is given, you can't complain either because it's clearly... It's clear that Saul's arm blocks the ball there. It reminded me a little bit of uh, a little bit closer range, but the one in the Real Madrid, the derby a couple of years ago, when Felipe yeah. kind of had his arm up in the air, it reminded me of that one a little bit. But yeah, I mean that one wasn't given. This one was, and as an Atleti fan, I don't think anybody can have any complaints. And equally, you can't really criticise Saul. I mean, it's just a natural movement. His arm wasn't really high up; it was just kind of by his side and the arm up as he jumped. And, and that's something that that happens. He is a human being, and unfortunately, he can't chop his arms off. To right. Play football, so. <laughs> What's he supposed to do? Not have arms? Well, that's the way the handball rule is going, isn't it? In, yeah. In football, is that if you have arms and they aren't taped to the side of your body at all times in the penalty box, it's a it's a penalty. So it's a ridiculous rule. But yeah, I think at this point, there's not even any of that frustration because we've seen so many of these ridiculous penalties be given. So no, no new complaints. Well, uh, uh, being awarded a penalty is something foreign for Atletico this year, Sam. Uh, Atleti are the only team in La Liga that has not been awarded a penalty this season. Uh, By contrast, on the other side of the city, Real Madrid have been awarded eight penalties this season. Um, What do we think is the explanation for that beyond getting into conspiracy theorizing about the Federation? Well, the the obvious one is so that Atletico don't get into the box as much as other teams. But Mm. I saw the stats the other day and Atletico ranked fourth in La Liga for for touches or movements or involvements inside the penalty box. So that one simply isn't true. It doesn't make sense that the fourth most active team in the penalty box is the team that 
doesn't receive any penalty kicks at all and is the only team not to. Um, so then you have to look at why that is. And I think the, the one with Alvaro Morata against Gene early on in the game against Hitape, that would have been Gene's second yellow card. He would have been sent off. It would have given Atletico a penalty 15, 17 minutes in, I think it was, at home against Atafe. I mean, that completely changes the game. Yep. And I think there is an element, especially with Alvaro Morata, of being a player who who almost looks for penalties and looks for the fouls too much. I mean, if you're Matteo Lajot, if you're the referee, or if you're the guy looking back on bar in slow motion, and you can see Morata kind of, already going down before there's that much contact, already screaming, then you're thinking that he's making too much of it. And I think at the weekend it was a penalty, but Alvaro Morata really did milk it as much as he possibly could. And I think if you're a referee, you feel a little bit like, yeah, you're not going to pull pull the, the wool over my eyes with this one. I'm not going to give you that. But I think it could easily have been given. And beyond that, it's just it's hard to say really, isn't it? I mean, I think there have been a few shouts like this struggled to think of too many where I think that was a blatant penalty that wasn't awarded. But, I mean, there's a lot of action from Atletico that isn't necessarily taking players on. I don't think we have too many players in the squad. And the ones that we do are Jao Felix or Yannick Carrasco, and, and they haven't been doing it this season. To actually go and take a player on, I'm thinking kind of like the typical Vinicius. Vinicius wins lots of penalties, but because Vinicius runs a player and they leave a leg out or they dangle a foot and it catches him or whatever it might be. Atletico don't really have too many of that mould of player. Atletico might have touches and involvements in the box, but they're more the cross into Alvaro Morata or the, the Antoine Griezmann taking two touches and trying to shoot or something like that. And there you're really kind of inviting that somebody has to make the challenge on you to foul you, whereas that kind of dribbling, that kind of more direct taking players on, that's where you can get penalties just from a lazy leg or unfortunate positioning or something like that. I'm not sure that Atletico really have that in their attacking attacking armor this season. Yeah, who who in this team is is super direct like that? Uh, you would think Mateus Cunha, but he's gone. You would think Carrasco, but Carrasco has been terribly out of form and has only one goal involvement this entire season in La Liga. He's uh, been mentally gone for a while. Yeah, Carrasco, it looks like he's totally checked out. He's kind of going against his team, uh, it, it appears. You know, he's kind of going against his teammates and trying to do everything on his own. And, yeah, it, it seems pretty clear that Carrasco is going to be on his way out this summer, along with potentially several other players. But it's really weird that, that this team is fourth in penalty area touches in the whole league. It doesn't have a single penalty called in their favor. But part of it is because of a lack of super direct players who will go at defenders fearlessly and aren't afraid of that kind of contact. Uh, you're, and the point about Morata, he, he dives, he, he exaggerates contact, he plays it up. Um, so yeah, you and I are the same mind on that. I think referees are kind of tired of it. I read that Lahotz was telling Morata that it wasn't enough for me, but you know, if I was wrong, VAR will, will step in. And guess what? VAR didn't step in. Yeah, I think that's one of those typical penalties that if Lahotz gives it, I don't think VAR tells him it's not a foul. But you need the referee to give it first. I think there is a little bit of a resistance with those kind of calls with referees. They know that they have VAR, and if they're not sure, if they think the player is making too much of it, then they'd rather not give it and VAR come in and say, hey, look, he wasn't making too much of it, it is a penalty, than to give it and then have VAR be like, oh, well, there was contact. He did pull his arm, but he threw himself onto the floor. And I, I mean, you wonder, don't you? I mean, how much of a, how much force was there from Genet that that was pulling Morata down, if he hadn't have made quite so much of it, could he have got a penalty a bit more naturally? Maybe that would have been different from Matteo Lajos, but I mean, it's Matteo Lajos, so it's, it's very difficult to predict what he would do. Yeah, that's not a good thing. I swear he used to be a good referee. Uh, I, I'm not sure what has gone wrong for him, uh, specifically since the World Cup, but he used to be someone you could talk to, someone who would be, despite you know wanting to be the st- the star of the show, he was a more or less pretty reliable referee in my eyes. But I don't know, man. This looked pretty clear to me. Jene was all over Morata in the penalty area. He was already on a yellow card. Lahot's booked him in the second minute. So just yeah, I think really that's kind weird. of where Lahot made it more difficult for himself because 15 minutes in, if you have to give a second yellow card and a penalty, then especially with the way it would have been for that penalty, is you're opening yourself up to criticism and maybe you're thinking about that and you're thinking, 
oh, I don't want to send him off here and I've already booked him. But that's where he was a bit stupid to give him a yellow card on 70 seconds or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, that tackle happens in the 88th minute and it's always the yellow card in the first minute. Usually it's the kind of thing where you get the the talking to, calm down and carry on. Yeah, I don't think Matteo helped himself out particularly there. No, he certainly didn't. Uh, Staying with Maratza for just a moment, you wrote in your uh, Three Things We Learned column, Sam, that Maratza leads La Liga with 18 offsides this season, nearly one per game. He's and he's played every game. He's still Atletico's top scorer with seven goals, but only with seven goals. Uh, and as I discovered this morning while I was uh, researching for another uh, article on Into the Calderon, Morata um, has only completed the 90 minutes twice this season. So 18 out of 20 games, he has been hauled off or thrown on at some point uh, and hasn't been able to play all 90 minutes. Uh, is Diego Simeone's continued lack of faith in Morata is this a serious problem? I don't think Diego Simeone really likes Alvaro Morata. I mean, <laughs> he's, a, he's a good striker, but I don't think he likes you. I mean, when you're at a club and then the coach basically says he doesn't want you anymore, you go somewhere else and they decide they don't want to buy you and you end up back there and they can't sell you again, it's not really a great look. And I mean, for Diego Simeone, they had a big falling out with between the two of them. They seem to have fixed that a little bit, but Equally, you look at the, the attacking options and there's no alternative to Alvaro Morata, who is the same. And that means that I think that's why there's so many changes because choosing Morata, starting Morata or bringing on Morata, that's a tactical change. It's not that you're swapping him out for another player of the same style. So right. when you make those tactical changes, you're adapting to the game or you're changing the way you're going to focus. And I think that's part of Morata's problem is that He's kind of almost like that target man or traditional number nine kind of role. And Atletico often don't play with that kind of figure. And so, and when they do, it's often against teams that are defending very deep. It might not work. And then Simeone looks to change things up. So I feel like the fact that he's playing in so many games but not playing 90 minutes isn't so much a reflection on Alvaro Morata, but more a reflection on the fact that there is no like-for-like replacement. And so Diego Simeone has to change the system. And if he wants to change the system in attack, then the first player to come off will almost always be Alvaro Morata. And so it's a weird fit, and it does feel a little bit like um, kind of the guy who's there who doesn't really fit in, but can't get rid of him. So we'll try and see how we can squeeze him in. And, and he is a great striker. He's like Spain's starting number nine, so we can't complain too much. But yeah, he's not an ideal fit for what Diego Simeone wants, I think. Yeah, I mean, Murata's clearly no bum. He's clearly a talented forward. Just look at his goal return for Spain. He's likely going to end his international career as one of Spain's top three goal scorers ever. Uh, and this is a country that has produced, you know, David Villa, Fernando Torres, you know, Raul Gonzalez Blanco. You know, they've produced a number of, uh, you know, Morientes, a number of really good forwards over the, the past 20, 30 years alone. So for Murata to be, you know, in, in that tier is pretty impressive and does speak to his ability but putting it all together has always been an issue for him um and yeah Simeone has never really taken to him I I think I agree with you and yeah there's really no other alternative like Murata simultaneously fills an essential role for this team um Simeone would love to have someone else do it though like he would I don't know if he'd love Luis Suarez back, but he would love another option. He'd love an alternative because he just doesn't count on Morata very much. Um, he, he's certainly not the first name on the team sheet, but he kind of has to be if Atletico want to play with a reference point because that's not the kind of player Antoine Griezmann is. That's not the kind of player Angel Correa is. Um, Memphis, we've seen Memphis for about 65 minutes so far. We don't really know what kind of role he's going to fill in this team. Yeah, I think, I mean, watching the some of the highlights and seeing Luis Suarez scoring goals for Gremio, which were almost copy and paste of some of his Atletico goals, it was kind of a comeback, Lucho. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think Memphis comes in with that intention, listening to what Diego Simeone was saying when he signed up, we think he can be a bit like a Diego Costa kind of forward. I think it sounded like he wanted to convert him into that more at all terms of the number nine, but so far it doesn't seem to be working out that well and down to his fitness and his physical condition but with the situation Atletico are in they're not in a position where they can hang around and wait to have 
a starting striker available. Yeah, because the, the race for Champions League is well and truly on. You know, as we mentioned, uh, Atletico are in a real fight here. Rio Vallecano are in great form right now. I don't think they're going to have the second half collapse they had last year. They're only three points behind Atleti. Uh, you have Betis and Villarreal within four points, and Atletico only have head-to-head over one of those teams, Betis. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, and I mean, there's that very tricky end to the season. I mean, we talked about it earlier with, with Real Albi yep. in the last game. But if I'm not mistaken, I think we've got Real Sociedad as one of the last matches of the season. Yeah. Well, the penultimate game of the season. And... And some of the other games are a little bit easier, but I know that Barcelona is in April. Um, Betis is in April as well, I think. So, I mean, it's no easy ride towards the end of the season. For Atletico, and I know the other teams that Atletico are facing at the end of the season just got it up here now. Those last kind of few fixtures, Valladolid, Cadiz, Elche, Osasuna, Espanyol. I mean, of those four, three of them could be fighting relegation and fighting for their lives in those games. And that's almost just as dangerous as playing a direct rival for, for Europe when you're playing against teams who are kind of struggling to survive. So, yeah, Atletico need to get as many points as they can, as quickly as they can, and then hope to put themselves in a strong position because, I mean, especially with this weekend, that was what was so frustrating was that three-point gap over Rayo Vallecano. If Atletico had beaten Hedafe, that would be a five-point gap. Yep. A five-point gap over Rayo Vallecano suddenly seems a lot more comfortable than a three-point gap and then, oh, Betis over the I'll catch up. Oh, it suddenly feels a little bit nervy. Yeah, this team we're playing in multiple competitions right now. I, I would be really worried about their chances of qualifying. But we'll see. Still a little less than half a season to go. Plenty of time. And half the league is battling relegation at this point, Sam. I don't know necessarily if that's a good thing. For La Liga, because you can spin it both ways, right? On one hand, you have a bunch of really competitive teams in the bottom half of the table that will be playing very meaningful football in April and May. The other side of the coin is that, well, half the league is fighting relegation and nobody has any money. Yeah, the one one interesting thing is just as well, the team above us, of course, is Real Sociedad. Yep. Real Sociedad have got the, the Europa League. They're only four points out of Atletico, but they haven't won any of their last... I think it is they've got a lot of injuries at the moment they've got the Europa League coming up I mean maybe they fade off a little bit and does that open the opportunity for Atletico to to get ahead of them and then at least if you're in third it can be a very tight race but you have that little bit of extra cushion I think it's going to be a long season and yeah I mean the teams at the bottom a lot of them are getting results I mean we only have to look at this weekend's fixtures Etafe you're taking a point so off of um, Atletico Elche beating Villarreal, Real Valladolid beating Real Sofia. I mean, anyone can beat anyone in this league, and I think it's truer now than than ever has been before. Certainly, uh, in recent memory, right? You know, just uh, what seven years ago, you know, we had multiple teams scoring a hundred goals. It was you know a ninety, ninety-five, even one hundred point league. It very much is not that anymore. So I think from that vantage point. It's nice that there's a, a bit more parity, but you know, there's a lot of criticism coming in on Javier Tebas, coming in on the financial restrictions, regulations. No one can buy anybody. You know, all the best talent is ending up in England. So there's still a lot to sort out, and Tebas is up for re-election at, at the end of the year. But not to get too far off track, let, let's talk about the, the one really fun moment from this game, which was Angel Correa's goal. Um, he did something that I don't think you or I have ever seen before, Sam. He scored... 
from the bench. What happened here? It was possibly one of the weirdest goals I've ever seen. But yeah, I mean, uh, for one, I think it was Thomas Lamar who, who shot as all of the players were coming out of the box. Larry Soria kind of palms it away, but straight down Hel Correa, who just turns and smashes it into the back of the net. The linesman flags for offside. Um, I think the timing of it was something like uh, 40 seconds, and then there's a substitution, and Diego Simeone takes off at Hel Correa. Um, and then there's an extra one minute, 10 seconds of the VAR check on the goal. And then Matteo Lajota wards the goal and says, actually, it was onside. And so at this point, Angel Correa is already sat on the bench with his coat on and <laughs> everyone comes running over to him and he's kind of like, wait, wait, give me some space. I want to celebrate my goal. And he jumps up in the air with his coat <laughs> on. And it's a really weird scene. Yeah. Talk about uh, a bit surreal, but also a novelty. Um, really happy for Correa that he got that goal. Uh, and it came after our first half where Atletico really controlled the game, like almost entirely, had more than two-thirds possession, but only one shot on target to show for it. Another one of those, you mentioned it a moment or two ago, Sam, another one of those periods of play where Atletico look fine, they're creating you know, some half chances, they, they look okay with the ball, but they're not playing well enough to take the lead on 19th place Hitafe. They finally do take the lead through this broken play. It looked to me at first like Correa was offside, but then the definitive angle came just before Lahoth ruled on it, uh, or VAR ruled on it. Um, and the longer that review went, the more you felt like they're going to give this. Like and he, He's already been substituted and, and they're going to give it. Um, Atletico still has never lost when Correa has scored um, in La Liga. Uh, that that it's always a good omen when when he put when he finds the net, um, but but then yeah, well, I think one of the best reactions I saw was what would have happened if he'd taken his shirt off already. Would he have been booked or? Yeah, <laughs> he what might. Have happened, but... Yeah, just totally breaking new ground. A player can indeed score from the bench. Really happy for Correa that he scored, and it was a truly memorable moment. Uh, and unfortunately, the 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 positive result didn't follow, but it was a really really cool and kind of novel moment. Yeah, especially for Anahel Correa, who I think is everybody's favorite player as well. So uh, a nice moment. Imagine if Atletico had sold him a few years ago and brought Rodrigo Moreno in to replace him. <laughs> that is that is a painful... I was one of the people like kind of subtly rooting for that. Because you know, Correa was this was obviously three four years ago, uh, but Correa was he still runs hot and cold. But he had the kind of the disciplinary issues, and Simeone was playing him out of position, and he wasn't really impressing. And they had this deal agreed with Valencia to bring Rodrigo in, and it, it just never happened. And they couldn't sell Correa to I think Milan were interested in him. They couldn't get a deal done, so he stayed. And I think we're all pretty glad he stayed. He's going to end his career with a lot of Atletico appearances. And uh, he's turned it around and become a fan favorite. Totally. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves his his attitude, his work rate, his his way of of being. I guess to put it very bluntly, but he does kind of very much buy into to Atletico, the values of the club, and I think at a time where there are a lot of superstars and and what have you in the Atletico squad, I feel like he's one of those players that Atleti fans kind of can recognize themselves with, can kind of empathize with, and you know, there's that feeling that he's one of our own and, and he represents them. I think that's that's something nice to have and it's always nice to have players who are around for so long and he's very popular in the dressing room and, and everything as well. So I'd like to think that whatever happens in the next few years, Angel Correa will be a part of, of what Atletico Madrid are doing. And as we've discussed on the show this multiple times this season, there is a lot of uncertainty going forward. And somebody else who, who is also one of our own, Sam, is, is Juan Coque Resurrección, who tied another game's record on Saturday. This was another Adelardo record, but it wasn't the overall game's record. It was just the domestic league appearances record. That was Coque's 401st game in La Liga. And he's only 31, but he's already played 401 games. He'll break the record next weekend against Celta, assuming he plays. And I thought Koke had a, a pretty good game on Saturday, albeit against kind of a lower tier opposition. And, uh, 91 touches, led all players, 11 progressive passes, 88% passing accuracy. Um, this 4-3-3 that Simeone has been trying recently with Koke, DePaul, and, and Tomolema in, 
in the midfield with Griezmann shuttling back and forth. It's working for Koke, who plays a similar kind of system in the national team. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's been getting the best out of him in particular. I think it's been pretty effective and I think he's just a, a player who needs a bit of consistency and after World Cup, he had a couple of injuries and I think he's building up towards that now and I think that in this system and with Rodrigo de Paul, who's been excellent the last couple of weeks as he well, has. I think that it's starting to take some of that focus away from Koke, he could do his own thing a little bit more and, and that's helping him. I think we are starting to see improvements from him and and that's the thing. I mean, this result against Adafi was frustrating, disappointing, but I do feel like things are starting to pick up, starting to get back to more where they should be over the last few weeks. So hopefully that will continue and, and Cook can, can get back to his best. Like Chances are this this group, this squad with the experience that, that they have um, and the lack of other competitions they're playing in, chances are they will be consistent enough and pick up enough points, even if they end up winning half their games or less. They'll, they should pick up enough points to get top four, but it's still, again, a squad that is flawed, a squad that is inconsistent. We've talked about DePaul's had an uptick in form recently, absolutely, and we got to give him credit for that, but for much of this season, DePaul has been a passenger. Uh, Carrasco's form has been abysmal for pretty much this entire season, um, Jan Oblak isn't quite back to his best. Um, nothing really he could do about the Unal penalty uh, toward the, the end of the game. Atletico should sign Enes Unal just so he stops scoring against them. That's his fifth career goal against the Jorge Blanco. It's his third penalty, but he, he loves the game against Atletico. He seems to always play well against us. Yeah, no, he does. And he's one of those players who's been linked to Atletico, and you always think, is he really good enough for Atletico? But... Whenever he plays against Atletico, he somehow ends up looking like Lionel Messi. Yes. Right out of it, peak and we think, yeah, okay. Can we sign the Enes Unal that plays against Atletico, not the one that plays against Elche next week? But right. This one. Uh, the one that has only six goals this season after, what, 16 last year? But th- this, this group of players should be good enough or consistent enough to, to finish in, in the top four. Uh, and that could be... Uh, in part, thanks to the form of Mario Hermoso, Sam, who had another really steady and solid game at the weekend. That's like six or seven in a row for him that have been pretty sturdy. Um, I think we talked about this last week, maybe the week before. Um, but what, I, I guess what are some of the keys to Hermoso's resurgence here? I, and I'm of the belief that Hermoso's form in the last month convinced the club not to go for another center back and instead sign a competition for Nahuatl Molina. Yeah, I think there's clearly been a conversation between Diego Simeone and Mario Hermoso. And I think it was a huge gamble, a huge show of faith, show of confidence, show of belief from Diego Simeone into Mario Hermoso. And I think when you're Mario Hermoso, and he's one of those peculiar personalities, I think when you're coming into a game as a substitute or rare start, and you want to show the world that you're the world beater, you can score the goal at the corner, you can make the last ditch tackle at the other end, it makes you do stupid things that you wouldn't usually do very <laughs> often. When you're doing that kind of starting regularly, you're one of the, the first names on the team sheet. He looks a lot more composed, a lot more relaxed, and and I think he's just been superb. I mean, he looks so, so concentrated, which is something that I don't think anybody ever would have said about Mario Musso in the past. Certainly not. And his distribution does offer something different. I mean... I'm a big Reynildo fan, but Reynildo's distribution is not his biggest strength. And Mario Hermoso is capable of playing the ball out from the back or carrying the ball from a deeper position. And so it does change the way that Atletico play, and I think that's something Diego Simeone wants to do. And the fact that he's managed to get through to Mario Hermoso and help him to kind of settle down a little bit has been crucial in, in kind of the last few weeks, dating back to, to since the World Cup. Yeah, it's a huge development that I certainly didn't see coming. Uh, Hermoso staking a, a place in this eleven once again. And I think another element to this is that Simeone has maybe finally realized that he can't put Jimenez and Savage together anymore because one of them is going to get hurt or suspended and won't be available for a period of time. So um, Jimenez didn't play this weekend. It, it was um, Savage and Hermoso at the back. Jimenez will probably play at Baleiros against Celta on Sunday and Simeone will just rotate them 
for the rest of the year. That could easily be another element to this, is that Hermoso stays fit. He's pretty healthy. Uh, I don't think he's had a major... He, he's had COVID a couple of times, but I don't think he's had a major injury since since he joined us. Jimenez and Savage, good as they may be together, just simply can't be trusted to be available. And that's an unfortunate reality that this Atletico side has been facing for a long time, but it is now brought into sharp relief as those two players get older and the club doesn't buy cover for them. Yeah, I think uh, sooner or later, I think we're going to have to look at that central defensive position and and invest because, I mean, yeah, maybe you can get by bringing in the free transfers and your actual Witzels and your, your Doherty's and so on in other positions, but the central defense is a real problem position and it's only going to get worse. So, there does need to be some investment there in some sorts because there's no really promising youngsters coming through. There's no squad player who can quick on kick on. I mean, we have Reynildo and Mario Hermoso, and, and that's pretty much it now, especially with Felipe going. As woeful as he was at times, he was an option. And so I think, yeah, I'm hoping that that is the top priority for Atletico Madrid this summer. Yeah, and Felipe's form was such that that could be addition by subtraction, really. I mean, Felipe has been an ex-player for like two years. And Atletico, uh, Ruben Aria at goal reported that Atletico got a couple million euro for him as like a solidarity fee from from Forrest. It, there are some advantages to selling to the Premier League. And this is why everyone's doing it now. Well, that's how you can manage to sell Mateus Cunha, Felipe... <laughs> Yeah. I think anybody in Spain would have been silly enough to buy them. So Premier League and their bitches is, is useful for something at least. Definitely. And, um, it, it's not all doom and gloom, right? No, Hermoso is playing well. Not well. Molina had another good game at the weekend. He's continuing to improve and continuing to grow. Uh, Lema, I thought, had a, a decent game, had three shots on target, and got basically the, the assist on, on the Correa goal because Soria couldn't handle the rebound. Marco Sorrente is back and from injury, and he's been in, in good form since the end of the World Cup. Koke seems to be picking up form. DePaul is picking up form. So, you know, it, it generates some confidence, even though Saturday in a vacuum in the moment was really bad. There's, there's some, some optimism, muted though it may be, although not everyone at the Metropolitano is sharing this optimism, Sam. It was a very quiet stadium on Saturday. What do you make of the continued silent protest going on in the South Stand? I mean, I think it's the last thing I let go need at the moment. Mm. It's the division in the fan base and things are getting quite nasty now between the different groups and and it's kind of become more controversial today, even on, on Tuesday that we're recording this, that um, Atletico Madrid published a a new document in the kind of in the portal, the the online private area for for Sotheos. They um, posted a new section, which was like the the rules of yep. being a Sotheo, and it's a fifty six page document which goes into reasons why the club can suspend your season ticket and so on. It's supposed to be this idea that the club are trying to crack down on the the Frente Atletico and the Ultras group and and push them out and they're working with the police to eradicate this group from the the Gran Animación and it, I mean you have to agree with it because obviously there's no place for violence in football and don't want to see those people representing Atletico Madrid or making some of the racist or insulting chants that they have done in the past but at the same time it does feel a little bit wrong that the moment that uh, Hill and, and Seleco have chosen to do all this is when they've started to oppose them and chant against them and so on at the stadium again because there has been kind of a cosy relationship between the two parties so mm-hmm. for that to change now does seem a little bit strange and there are fans who have been whistling the, the Grada Animacion even when they have sung even when it's nothing to do with criticising the club but things like just chanting Diego Simeone's name and fans were whistling them, but not whistling Diego Simeone, whistling the fact that they were chanting, whistling that group, and and they're kind of very determined to stick with it. And I saw that they just posted this evening a new video, which was saying about how they were going to continue to fight for the legacy that their grandparents and their parents had left behind, but that they will keep fighting and they won't be shut up. And 
and the club crest is what unites Atletico fans and so on. It does all feel a little bit strange that the club crest has become such a big issue again, almost out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, it feels like there's definitely something else politically going on behind the scenes that one of the club that Hill and Beretta have fallen out with the the Frente and that this could turn a little bit ugly and and so on. And unfortunately, that is being represented on the day in the stadium by people refusing to sing and. I mean, last week in the press leading up to that Atafé game, Stefan Savage, Antoine Griezmann, Diego Simeone all came out and said, come on, we want the fans behind us. The club doing lots of videos and social media posts, kind of like, get behind the team this weekend. And it didn't really happen. And other areas of the ground and the stadium can sing and chant and so on. But when you have that Gradano at the on and that is silent behind the goal, it doesn't have quite the same impact. Yeah, just watching it on, on television, it was really eerie. It was like playing... It wasn't quite like the pandemic season two years ago, but it was uh, kind of similar in a sense, just to hear, you know, 56,000 people were at the Metropolitano, and it certainly didn't feel like it. I certainly couldn't hear that coming through my speakers. Uh, all this division is not good. Um, at, at, at a very delicate period for the club where, you know, there's... A bunch of players have already been moved on and more are likely going to leave this summer. There is a potential for a coaching change. What if Simeone steps down at the end of the season or is more likely convinced to resign, quote-unquote? Um, and there's a lot of, as you said, nastiness, ugliness, uh, and it bleeds into social media. It bleeds into how we speak to one another, and it's all a mess. And a good chunk of it, especially the club badge, a good chunk of it seems manufactured at this point in time like there's been lingering resentment since they changed it in 2016 prior to moving away from the calderon but it, it's come back with 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 a roar right it's come back with a fury that i didn't really expect and whether whether the club has a referendum on it at the end of the season we'll see um i i would expect that the the socios are gonna vote to as you and i are i think we're more likely going to vote for the return of the the old club crest but all this nastiness, all this division is is not good for the team that is struggling on the pitch, um, has you know, won only half their games in the league this season, fighting to get back into the Champions League. A bunch of players, and we're not sure whether they're staying or whether they're going. You know, we, we Simeone talks about being united a lot and talks about, you know, needing and engendering and, 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 and getting all this support from the stands, especially as Atletico, the, the number of club members continues to grow. Atletico every year are setting new records for how many socios sign up and, and how many people now are, are club members. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I became a club member, what, five years ago now? Mm-hmm. I've got 94,000 or something like that. So we just get to show how many club members there are. But yeah, I think one thing that we often forget is, especially when you're kind of, on social media or you're reading into the Calderon or Marca or us, you're kind of very well informed. You know exactly what all these groups are saying, what the conflict's about, why the fans are quiet. But then you kind of forget about that and then you go to the game on a Saturday or Sunday and you realise you're sat next to kind of the old granddad who doesn't read any of that, doesn't have a clue. So he's just there like, why aren't they singing? I don't get it. And these are people who just go to the game to watch the football. I mean, they're there to cheer on their team, to to watch Griezmann score a goal and applaud the players and, and they're not interested in any of that politics. They're just going to have that release of, of watching the game. And so to embroil that in all of this controversy, it's kind of the, the side of, of football that nobody likes. And and yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, if there's a referendum at the end of the season, but I guess the, the thing is, is there a need for a referendum? I mean, why is it mm. suddenly coming back up? Why is this suddenly such a hot topic? And I mean, if I had to vote, I would vote for the the old club crest to come back, probably. But at the same time, I'm not desperate to have a vote. I'm not going to stop singing or stop going to Atletico games or whatever it may be because I'm so outraged at the fact that there's not a vote. And everybody's entitled to their own view, but it does feel like out of nowhere and when there are so many other things going on, so many other issues within the club, this has appeared very suddenly as a very major topic and it's all a little bit strange. 
Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, we haven't done a show since deadline day, um, and Atletico, as usual, were busy on January uh, transfer window deadline day, acquiring uh, Matt Dofferty on a free transfer. Spurs uh, initially tried to loan him to Atletico, but then they realized they had already loaned out the maximum number of players, according to FIFA regs, so they had to release him. He then signs a short-term contract to provide cover competition for Nawal Molina at right back. What did you make of the Matt Dougherty acquisition, the first Irishman ever to play for Atletico, potentially? Yeah, um, I mean, it was one of those that I don't think anybody saw coming until a few hours before the deadline, and apparently even he didn't see coming until 24 hours before the deadline. And, I mean, yeah, uh, okay. I'm not particularly <laughs> excited. I'm not particularly disappointed. It's another right back, so we won't have to see Michael Chirento there again. For a while, hopefully at least, which is the best thing about this signing. Yeah, um, he's not going to be Kieran Trippier as much as we all like to think he's going to be Kieran Trippier because we signed him from Spurs, and when he's coming from the Premier League and and whatever. But yeah, I mean, he's a he's an option. I think I was a little bit surprised because I think Nawal Molina has been in the best form since he signed over the last few weeks, and maybe that was because the club told him we're looking for an alternative. And he upped his game knowing that competition was about to come in. I feel like he's benefited from the World Cup as well. So Dougherty is a, a player of a similar mould, a similar style. Struggled a little bit at Tottenham under Antonio Conte, but looked pretty pretty comfortable when he first joined them from Wolves and was very good for Wolves. So, I mean, is he good enough to be Atletico's number one first choice right back? Maybe not, but is he good enough to compete with Nahuel Molina and, and so on? I mean... I think he's probably a better fit now than Simo Vasalico, for example, was last season. So, yeah, I mean, sure. As a free sure. transfer signing on deadline day, I don't have any complaints about that one. I was just a little bit surprised to see it come almost out of nowhere. Yeah, I was like, sure, great. He's a warm body who can play right back and, and can play as a wing back. Great. Uh, fine. <laughs> uh, it really did come out of nowhere. Uh, I think the assumption for most of January was that if Atletico were going to lose Felipe, they would bring in uh, Soryanja from Leicester. That didn't happen. It Perhaps Leicester were asking for too much money. Wouldn't surprise me if Atletico didn't want to pay, so they'll just sign him on a free transfer over the summer when his contract is up. Um, yeah, I don't know how much time Dougherty's going to get. Uh, the, the quote that made the rounds on social media, Sam, when... when he signed for Atleti was Antonio Conti some time ago saying, why didn't I pick Dofferty? Because I don't want to lose, which is not really a ringing endorsement, but then Conti is kind of an abrasive character anyway. He's had quite the career path. He worked his way up from League One with Wolves, which is pretty impressive. Um, I just don't know how much of a look we're going to get at him. It's a, a, a four-month contract, basically. And Molina's been in great form. Yeah, I mean, I mean, who knows if we'll even get to see him. I'm sure we will at some point, but no European football out of the Copa del Rey. There won't be too many weeks where we have two games in the space of three or four days. So you'd like to think that if Noah Molina can avoid injury, he will be fit to start most of those games. But I'm not sure we're actually going to see all that much of him. That's why I was quite so surprised to see him come in now. I think he would have been a very useful addition Six months ago, now maybe not so much, but but let's see. I mean, it's a it's almost a risk free deal for Atletico Madrid that they brought him in and see how he does. If he impresses, then great, uh, a longer term deal and extend that into next season and beyond. And and you've got the two right backs, which is something that Atletico haven't really had in, a, in quite a while. Two reliable right back options. Yeah, what a concept. I'm, I'm getting some Daniel Voss vibes from this. Hopefully I am mistaken that he doesn't just play one injury-played game and then leave. Yeah, I feel like it's almost too good to be true. Right? Yeah, it, I'm getting Voss vibes from this, but definitely could be wrong. Absolutely. Um, before we sign off, Sam, th- th- as we know, this has not been a particularly fun season uh, from our point of view, from the Rohi Blanco point of view out of the Champions League, out of Europe entirely, out of the Copa del Rey, not competing for La Liga, really fourth place will probably feel more or less like a trophy. So what I want to do before we sign off um, and briefly look at the Celta game on Sunday uh, afternoon, kind of the undercard for Sunday, three or four things that that we're, look, we're looking forward to. Uh, 
for the rest of the season. Like it could be a statistic, it could be a record, it could be someone's form, um, it could be the end of someone's time in Atlantico, whatever the whatever it is. Uh, just if you have three or four things that are kind of off the beaten path that you're looking forward to, and it'll keep you watching Atletico from now to the rest of the season. And that's a bit dark, Jeremy, to be looking forward to seeing the end of somebody's time at Atletico. I mean, it could it could be anything. No, it could be. I mean, I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to is seeing the Argentinians. I think since the World Cup, they've all come back in a really good form and looking so much better and seeing how that evolves, if that can maintain itself through to the end of the season. I mean, like Rodrigo de Paul, the last few weeks have been like a new signing almost. Noel Molina has been way better than he was leading up to the World Cup. And Angel Correa has been in pretty good form as well. So I feel like seeing those three, I feel like if they can reach their best form, that will be really exciting for Atletico. Um, other things that we have to look forward to, I mean, one thing that I would really like to see happen is this game up against Real Madrid in just a couple of weeks. I would love to see Atletico win that. I feel like it's one that could happen. I mean, Real Madrid are a little bit on the rocks, really out of form. Some of their key players not looking good. And I mean, in that Copa del Rey clash, Atletico came very close to, to going all the way and winning or, or just taking a draw from the Bernabeu to go back there now at the end of February and I feel like that's a real opportunity to kind of give some Alisco fans something to shout about which we haven't had very much of this season mm. or even last season so I feel like having a moment like that would be fantastic and then what else is there to look forward to at Alisco? I mean I feel like the, the future of Diego Simeone is obviously one of the big talking points and I'm certainly not looking forward to all of the talk that there will be surrounding that but I am looking forward to there being some kind of clarity and whatever that might be. If Diego Simeone stays, then I think this summer it would be a little bit different. I think if Diego Simeone stays this summer, it does have to be a kind of, this is an investment in Diego Simeone. We can't have this discussion every 12 months. He's here, he's going to be here for however long, if he's going to extend his contract or whatever it might be. I don't think it can be a, yeah, we'll talk about it again this time next year. I think this summer is kind of a decisive moment. And if he does decide to move on, then it's the best coach in Atletico Madrid's history who's completely changed the club from top to bottom and is an iconic figure. I mean, I think you think of Atletico Madrid, you think of Diego Simeone. So I'd like to think that there will be a rallying. I mean, we spoke about the, the fans and the atmosphere of the Metropolitano and so on. I'd like to think that whatever that decision about the future looks like, Fans will rally to get behind Diego Simeone to make him want to stay. And if he does eventually choose to leave, then to send him off in, in style, at least. Yeah, uh, leave with his with his head held as, as high as he can. Um, if Simeone does, and I don't know if this has happened yet, uh, if he has notified the club that he's staying or going, if he stays, you might as well extend his contract. Because as you've said, th- there needs to be a marker laid down, right? We... Atletico likely aren't going to invest significantly in the squad this summer, not least of which if there aren't any big sales. But there needs to be a marker laid down, and the sides need to come together and say, look, we're going to extend Simeone's contract to 2026. He's going to be here for another two or three years. If you're on board with that, great. If you're not, you can leave, and we'll we'll sign new players. Uh, I don't expect the club to do that because this has not been a particularly forward-thinking board, especially in recent years. Um, and if Simeone doesn't leave, we'll have another year of this. We'll have another year of, is he staying or is he going? Is this the end? Does it feel like the end? Who knows? And and I don't know which way it's going to go. Uh, but whenever this does end, I will, I, I will be very sad when Diego Simeone does leave this club uh, for whatever opportunity comes next. Uh, so I'm not, not exactly looking forward to that, but it's certainly the biggest storyline for the rest of Atletico's season is what's Diego Simeone's future. He gets to decide his future, basically. Um, The club can encourage him one way or the other, possibly ushering him toward the exit door, but we'll see. Uh, Things I'm looking forward to. Uh, Pablo Barrios is playing time. Uh, He didn't play against Hitafe this weekend, Sam, and that was very frustrating to me. Almost as frustrating as the performance and the result itself. Uh, why promote him to the first team and give him a professional contract if he's not going to play? Like, against Hitafe or 19th in La Liga, they lost their 
previous four or five games. Kike Sanchez Flores just laid into his players the day before the game saying, these guys don't want to work hard. These guys are distracted. I can't get them to focus. Like, Hitafe were ripe for the picking. And at 1-0 up in the final half an hour, perfect time to throw on Barrios. Some energy, some legs, some enthusiasm, charisma, and positive play in midfield. And Cholo just didn't put him on. So I am very curious to see what Barrios' role is going to be going forward. Can he carve out a starting place? Can he really carve out any minutes in, in a midfield that has looked a bit better recently, but as we've seen in the past few weeks, can really use his energy. Uh, Antoine Griezmann has a chance to lead the league in assists. He's one behind uh, Real Sociedad's excellent uh, Mikel Marino. Uh, Marino leads the charts with seven assists. Griezmann has six. I think there's a pretty good opportunity for Griezmann to end the season as La Liga's top assistant uh, for the first time in his career, which, you know, again, this is a guy who used to fight for the scoring chart lead, and now he could fight for, you know, being the top passer in La Liga. Just, you know, the, the way Griezmann has transformed his game for the third time in his career, just endlessly fascinating because I didn't see it coming. Uh, Will Atletico hit 70 points? They've hit that total in every season under Simeone, 10 for 10. Uh, in addition to finishing third in each of his 10 previous full seasons, right now they're fourth and on pace for 68 points, which should still be good enough to get Champions League given the inconsistencies that plague Villarreal, that plague Betis, uh, Rio are, are a bit of an unknown. We'll see how hot or cold they run the next few months, but Atletico are still on course to achieve that. So just little things like that, I suppose. Uh, and, and of course, the, the season ending, I think it will be a big sigh of relief for a lot of people around the club. Uh, this has been a really tough 18 to 24 months since winning the league. And you know now we can... When this season ends in June, when the full-time whistle blows at La Ceramica on June 4th, or whatever that game's going to be, uh, we get to look we get to look ahead to the next season and possibly the next era if Simeone does go. I love that one of your things to look forward to, Jeremy, is the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> the back of it all, and we can just relax and forget about the pain and suffering and supporting it. Let's go, Madrid. Yeah, put our feet up for a couple of months. Just enjoy the final break. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's... It's interesting, and just to touch on Pablo Barrios, that you mentioned him there, and yeah. there was a report from Barca, uh, I think it was last week, um, that some of the some of Diego Simeone's staff, some figures within the club, were a little bit worried that maybe the acceleration of Pablo Barrios into the first team had been a little bit too much too soon, but I think the, the idea is that Diego Simeone doesn't agree with that, but Nelson Vivas, the assistant coach, and so on, I'm particularly convinced. I wonder if Diego Simeone is kind of pulling him back a little bit to protect him from some of those stories, that criticism, that kind of thing. Because I don't think his performances have necessarily warranted that. Sure. But also because he does have a lot more competition now. A few weeks ago, it was like, yeah, we have to play Pablo Barrios because there is nobody else. Whereas now we do have the ball, Coque, even Thomas Lamar starting to find a bit of form. And yeah, that's going to have to, he's going to have to fight for that play. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, an underrated or at least uh, an aspect of management that isn't often talked about is, you know, protecting kids from from the media climate, protecting kids from pressure. Uh, younger players don't deal with it as well as, as older, more experienced players do. So that probably is also an aspect to it. But it's been so long since we have had a kid from the academy come up and, and, and get a first team contract and get a shot. And not just a, a cameo, five, ten minutes here and there, but... He's been starting games. He's already played 270 minutes in five league games. It's been a while. I think a lot of people are excited to see what Barrios can can do and, and whether he really is a potential pillar of the future. And And I hope we, we do see more of him. Um, I would I'd be disappointed if the club sent him on loan for next season. I'd be disappointed if they sent him back to the B team, which I don't you know, that's not going to happen anyway. He's got a, a league number. He's registered numbers one through 26. He's got a professional contract. So he's part of the first team. Um, I just wonder what his playing time is going to look like and, and how much he needs to be protected. Uh, one more thing that I'm looking forward to, uh, Sam, is Simeone passing Luis Aragonis's uh, games coached record. Uh, Simeone will tie that record of 612 games managed for Atletico against Real Madrid on the 25th, and he will break it March 5th uh, against Sevilla uh, at the Metropolitano, which that, sh that should be a could be a good atmosphere, shouldn't be really, you know, everyone getting together to honor this coach who has meant 
more to us than I think some of our family members. I think it's fair to say, um, and Aragonis got to 612 games across multiple Atletico stints. Uh, Simeone has done it all in one go. Uh, just yet another impressive statistic from El Cholo's decade plus in charge. Yeah, no, I mean, just to say that he's been at one club for a decade, I mean, when you look at the reports today that Carlo Ancelotti could be sacked by Real Madrid because they're going through a bad run of form for the first time in 18 months. <laughs> and it makes you realise kind of the, the achievement of Diego Simeone. I mean, I think when you think of basically since the last 20 years or so, the only managers who've lasted that long are really, I mean, you're looking at your Alex Ferguson, your Arsene Wenger's, but... Other than that, there aren't too many names that shout out or identify with one club in quite such a way. I mean, I guess maybe Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool is closing in on that, perhaps. But even them this season, they've had that fall off that, that Atletico haven't had. I mean, we're talking now about Atletico aren't what they once were or whatever, but still fourth in La Liga. I mean, yeah. this isn't like a, a Liverpool in the Premier League where they've dropped into the bottom half. And, I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan, so I was suffering to watch that, but... I mean, they have really dropped off in kind of mid-table obscurity and, and Atletico haven't had that. Maybe you can talk about the competition in the Premier League, La Liga, whatever, but there are enough clubs competing in La Liga now that you do have your Betises, your Villarreal's, maybe even your Rayo Vallecanos that, that can push Atletico and and they are still in that top four conversation. And, and as things stand, if the season were to end at the halfway point, Atletico would be in the Champions League, so... I think nobody will ever quite recognise what Diego Simeone has achieved until he's left and mm-hmm. and whoever follows him up, whether that's a big name with a big ego like Luis Enrique or whether it's uh, a Gabby or, or somebody who's new who doesn't have that same reputation but is trying to prove their point, I feel like they're going to have a really tough act to follow and that will put into perspective exactly what Diego Simeone achieved because... It has been remarkable. I mean, we forget that Real Madrid and Barcelona have been both had eras of being the best Real Madrid, the best Barcelona in their history at the same time. And Atletico Madrid have won two league titles during his, his stint. I mean, we played Celta Vigo at Balaidos this weekend. The last time we played at Balaidos was the first game as reigning champions. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't that long ago. No. Um, and as you know, Man United learned when they hired David Moyes to replace Sir Alex Ferguson, and as Arsenal learned when they appointed Unai Emery to replace Wenger, you you never want to be the next guy. You want to be the guy after the guy. And I don't know, if Simeone leaves, like Luis Enrique strikes me as a good replacement. We haven't really talked much about that because uh, it's just rumors, right? It's just stuff kind of floating through the air. Um, who knows if, if he's even, if Simeone's even going to leave or not. But it, it does, I think, rightfully give a lot of fans anxiety. I think the newer Atletico fans who have only hopped on board the last few years, not to criticize them, not to denigrate or demean them, they're part of the the, the family just like we are. You know, um, the newer fans who, who might be more inclined to see Simeone leave, they may not be yet prepared for what's coming because we don't know what's coming. It's going to be uh, a, a very strange new world when when that does take place, Sam. Um Speaking yeah, of self, it's almost that that it's like the kind of the I can't remember the exact saying, but when when you're married and you've been with the, the same partner for forty years, they don't seem as attractive as they once did. But it's a bit like that with Diego Simeone. That after over a decade with him, the idea of a Luis Enrique, the old Spain and Barcelona coach, wow, so exciting, so different. But we know and love Diego Simeone. We know his weaknesses. We know his strengths and. We know what to expect. Yeah, maybe be careful what you wish for, in a sense. Uh, before we sign off, anything to say about the Celta game this weekend? Uh, they beat Betis in a thriller, 4-3 at the Via Marin, in a very unexpected result, which featured a bit of controversy at the end with Iago Aspas going down of his own accord and uh, a red card being shown to uh, Luis uh, Henrique, not Luis Henrique the coach, Luis Henrique the player. Uh, Celta are, this is always, a, a it strikes me as a, a tricky trip going to Balaidos. Celta are usually pretty decent at home, and they're an, an attacking positive side with uh, some glaring flaws in their squad. So it could be good entertainment on Sunday. 
Yeah, Celtic are just hugely unpredictable. I feel like there's not a worse time to go and play them than after this game against um, against Betis. I think mm-hmm. that was their best performance of the season. I feel like the last few weeks they've gradually been getting better, but the results haven't quite followed. And that game against Betis was kind of the explosion moment where they say, yeah, we are here, we are going to be capable of showing what we're, we're able to. And you just hope they kind of keep up that inconsistency this weekend that Balaidos, it's not always been an easy place for Atletico to go, but I feel like Atletico on the road have been a little bit better than they have been at home with all of the complexity and tension at the Metropolitano of late. So maybe playing away will play into their favour and, and they can get a good result. 20 of Atletico's 35 points have been picked up on the road away from the Metropolitano. To you know, emphasize that point, uh, Atletico have only shipped seven goals away from home. That's the second lowest total in the league. Atletico have the second best defense in the league this year, even though it really doesn't feel like it or seem like it. That's what the numbers say. Um, although Barcelona are are well ahead of everybody in in that regard. Yeah, you, you're right. This is a a really not an ideal time to be playing Celta coming off the back of that victory. Back to back big wins for them. They beat Athletic one 0 the week before, and then this big win over Celta two uh, over uh, Betis rather uh, two teams uh, chasing Europa League, chasing Conference League for next season. So Celta are, they're feeling themselves at the moment. Um, and Atletico did win at, at Valladolid last year and the year before, could make it three in a row and potentially draw to within a point of, of Real Sociedad. It would be really funny if we somehow backed into third, despite how bad we've been most of this season. It would be really wild if, if Atletico somehow contrived to finish third ahead of a La Real team that I think richly deserves where they are in the table. Yeah, I think they've been excellent, but the, the challenge they always have is to maintain that across a full season. I think that will be the challenge again this season. And the goals are starting to dry up for them, and they're very good defensively, but if you're struggling to score, it can be difficult to, to turn one point into three, and, and when you're trying to finish third in La Liga, you can't settle for one point. Well, lots of football still to come, Sam, and we will be here to talk about it. That'll do it for this edition of Colt Chinero Chat. Sam Leverage, thank you so much for hopping on the show today, man. Appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks very much for having me, Joanna. Uh, you can follow us uh, both on Twitter. I'm at JB Barron. Sam is at uh, Sam Leverage. Uh, follow us at Into the Calderon. You can read our work on IntoTheCalderon.com. Uh, for the time being, you can uh, subscribe to the Atletico Madrid Podcast Network on your favorite uh, podcasting platform. You get all new episodes of Colt Chinero Chat and the Partido a Partido podcast. Patreon.com slash Chat is where you want to be for exclusive bonus content. I did a mailbag podcast yesterday that is now uh, up for all listeners, and we'll have more goodies coming this week. And we will be back next week to discuss the outcome of the Celta game and some more fun stuff. Until then, adios. Mm-hmm.